0: Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned. Discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit Learner.co. That's Learner with two L's
1: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Blaine Birch. He's the CEO at Dry Run. He's also an author and podcast host. Greg and John, what are you looking forward to chatting with Blaine about? about, Because I know the three of us know Blaine and have known him for a number of years. So what are you guys curious to learn from him today? I'm interested to talk to Blaine again. I've talked to him a number of times over the years. Uh, I'm interested to hear where Dry Run is these days. Um, He's had, it's an interesting company for financial modeling for uh, small, everything from small businesses to large ones. And um, I'd like to see where they are in their progress because they seem to be have, every time I've talked to them, they've had great steady growth.
0: Cool. Yeah. yeah. And well, Blaine is a fantastic guy, first of all. So it's it's great to just know we're talking to uh, like just a good, good dude. Um, so that's exciting. And also, I mean, he is a, he's a guy who's, Who's started on one path and kind of moved into others, and I always find that really interesting. When, when um, like financial modeling, I think if you told him that you know he was he was doing things around cash flow or something, like thought maybe twenty years ago uh, he might have been surprised. So I think that's uh, that's going to be really cool to talk about in that whole learning journey as well.
1: No, very cool. I I also think too he was a. Designer, and then obviously founded, you know, some startups. He also wrote a book. He also does a podcast. So I'm, I'm curious to hear more about those things as well.
0: Kind of a creative force, isn't he? Yes, totally.
1: And wow. his book's name was uh, "Pandemic Cash Flow," and I always wondered if he got a little bit of a bump from the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can ask him about that.
0: Profiting from misery. Let's go. <laughs>
1: well, he wrote the book way before that. But, uh... <laughs> all,
0: right.
1: all right, on with the show. Blaine, great to chat with you again.
2: Oh, thanks so much, Kevin. Yeah, it's it's, it's been a while since we talked, and I, I, I see with uh, John and Greg on the show here. It's been a while since all of us talked, so I'm really excited to uh, to chat with all you guys and catch up.
1: Yeah, I, I think this show is going to be a little bit different than how we've kind of done the learner.co show in the past. John and Greg are going to sit in. And ask you questions as well i know i think you and i blaine have known each other for probably like six seven years john and greg i think At you least. guys have known blaine for long way longer than that <laughs> so i think it's going to be longer. exciting for the four of us to have a, a chat today yeah sounds
2: good looking forward to it yeah. good to see you blaine yeah you too john it's been uh, it's been a while and uh, uh hopefully uh hopefully over a beer again uh, someday soon so
0: yes indeed very well, cool. before we get into that, I've, I've been wanting to say that live for a while. Before we get into all of that, <laughs> and I think it's uh, I, I think for all of our listeners, let's get a little background of about you, Blaine, and where you grew up. Yeah, so
2: I uh, I, I grew up uh, in Edmonton, mostly in Edmonton, a couple of years down in, in uh, Ontario as well um, in, in sort of my almost teenage years. And um, but uh, yeah. Actually, born and bred, bred in Edmonton, and and um, uh, it's 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 definitely home, even though I happen to not be there right now. And um, uh, it's uh, you know built up such a, a long, uh, long uh, history of of friends and, and colleagues and fellow entrepreneurs, and and just you guys is like I said, it's it's so great to catch up with you guys.
0: It's it's been a bit too long. Cool. And and take us in a little bit through your like education journey, like where from, you know, grew up in Edmonton. But yeah, you know, how did you how did you get to where you are now in, in terms of learning?
2: Yeah, it's it's um, uh, it, lots of little twists and turns a little bit. But, um, you know, growing up, I was always uh, loved. I loved building things. I loved I loved art. I loved, you know, um, style, all that kind of stuff. and 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 what that ended up leading me to what was into uh, starting out life, I guess, and, and um, post secondary training as, as a graphic designer. So um, I went to University of Alberta, um, took a, a graphic design uh, bachelor's degree and um, minored in industrial design, which I, I absolutely loved. And I still like to build all kinds of things. And, and um, uh, that was that was, um, I guess, that that formal training that was really fundamental to where. I guess I, I ended up sort of in the in the future, and then in fact I I did a, a master's degree as well at, at U of A in design, um, and um, focused more on again on the graphic design side, but actually did a, a project or two in the industrial uh, design area as well. Just it they, they feed into each other. They feed into each other of you know being able to analyze problems and and study uh, study um, uh, the issues that you know, your, your potential clients or users would face. So uh, design's always been a a major foundation for me.
1: You also taught design if I'm not mistaken, is that correct?
2: Yes. Yeah. I, I was, I taught as a sessional instructor for, yeah, I guess it was five or six years and and this is while I had a, an office full of people in a business and, and, um uh not something I necessarily recommend like there's a lot you're carrying a lot and, and i i did teach uh a little bit of grant McEwan as well at, at one time going back quite a number of years now i, I ran the center for new media at, at grant McEwen on, on sort of a uh fractional contract basis as well so um the education has always been just a massive part of my life in, in, in teaching other people and, and constantly learning sort of that lifelong learner, always uh, want to take that next step and learn that next thing. So um, even while I ran a business, it was very kind of close to my heart and, and also uh, took up the big chunk of my days.
0: So I, I'm really curious, actually, with the design side, because there's a, this, especially doing a startup now, there's always this sort of juxtaposition of, in design and data and you know i think it can be framed as sort of oppositional things like you're either a designer or you're like it's all about the data but um i'm curious what you would have to say about that as a person who's lives on both sides of those fence i guess
2: yeah i don't know if if you um if you can separate them anymore I, I think uh, I, I just don't think it's really you're, you're doing a disservice if, on either side if, if you separate out design from data because they, they're they they're just tied together. We're um, and, you know, like my my agency that we sort of built, we did we did some sort of print design and branding and logos and things like that. Um, but the foundation of what we did was very much on on the digital side and and we we, we were pulled into this um, this area where. There, there's there's more to it you're making like we did a lot of e-learning and um there's you have to tie all of this together this it's it's very much sort of that user experience and, and the user interface and the and the and the information and data that you're actually delivering. It's there's a lot that goes into that right so it's it, yeah you know, there's a lot more to it I suppose and that was my my approach is is uh, they're all
0: intertwined. Cool. Well as a I guess well, we, we should get a little bit into the into dry run for sure. Um, but in that actually maybe ask the question this way. So in, in creating a startup with this design background, how did design inform your that process of creating a business or like how has that become sort of infused into what you do now? Or, or did you have compartmentalize that and leave it far behind? <laughs> no, this no, is, I,
2: design. It, it still sort of affects everything we do. And, and, but the way I view design is very like aesthetic is last, like that's just the the skin on top of it. Design is very much about understanding that customer problem and innovating a solution, not, not just saying, Hey, what do you guys want? And then you try and build it. It's like, no, what, are, what, what kind of challenge are you facing? What is the struggle? What is the problem you're facing? How are you doing it now? Because we still want some insight from that but we're not just gonna try and mimic it and do it kind of the same way, but a little different. It's really, truly understanding the problem and taking that design process um, very much close to heart and, and, and building on top of that.
1: It, I'm, it's interesting that you bring that up because at, you can scroll through Instagram and there's like a bunch of really awesome looking designs, but they're just like art pieces. They're not actual functional things that could even be really translated into code never mind software and it's interesting to get your perspective because you have that design background you've taught design and and you to say that it's kind of that last layer because yes it's super important but it's software is not an art piece it's like nothing you could be so beautiful but if it the user can't figure out where to go it doesn't matter how nice it looks and i i'm assuming you're going to agree with yeah. what i just said
2: oh yeah for sure <laughs> but like i i i you know back going back a lot of years i lectured my students constantly on design is not art Mm. it it isn't and if you think it's art go take an art class design is about um solving a problem that's that's what is all about solving a problem and communicating and um uh that you know it's i know it's kind of a a just really old comment but it's the the form follows function is is um Mm -hmm. Simple simplistic way sometimes to look at it, but it is really important that it's um, you have to know what problem you're solving, and I'm talking about like if you're doing a logo or a poster or whatever, you still have to know the problem you're solving, you still have to know who you're communicating with, why you want to communicate with them, what are you trying, like what kind of message are you trying to get across. Um, that's all part of it, and and so it's it's design is never it's separated from from that. If it is, it's, it's someone that can call themselves a designer, but if they, they're an artist, that's a totally different thing.
1: That makes sense. So what exactly is dry run and what made you actually decide to start building it? Because it's come a long way in the years that we've kind of known each other and, and chatted. So walk us through that and then kind of up until what it is today.
2: Yeah so so dry runs a, a, a cash management financial modeling software which um you know so it's finance it may not sound like super exciting but but as a as an entrepreneur for you know 20 years or whatever now i uh, i know it inside out of why it's so important and how um how close to the heart your finance is when you own a business and so i always tell people like i learned about finance in 2008 you know like <laughs> um like the rest of the world um you know we, we finance was always a very secondary thing cash flow was, yeah, was keep an eye on it but it was it was always it felt like it was always there right and um sales yeah, as long as we had it didn't really care when it rolled in just kind of need to you know hit that bottom line wow. but suddenly when when we started getting hit in the recession you know, 70% of our, our, our market at that point were government agencies. And when they shut the door on their budgets, they shut them for years. Like it was, there was nothing squeaking out for a long time. And so suddenly I had to look at the business and understand, first of all, how are we going to make payroll? How are we going to, how are we going to keep everybody? Cause we didn't, you know, my goal at that time, smart or not, was we didn't want to lay anybody off. They all have, you know, mortgages and kids and expenses and everything too. So how do we, How do we manage that? Um, And so it started with point out you know, kind of the spreadsheets, paper and pen type thing and saying, okay, Step one, where's our cash flow, what's coming in, what has to go out and how do we survive the next week? But that's a very short term view as well. So we had to figure out um, how do we turn this around, how do we get enough sales like I know I need this uh, this big figure uh, bottom line every single month to make sure that we can we can stay alive how, how are we going to get that in in sales? And so um, we started to build out, you know, fairly sophisticated sales projections as well. And it was more than just getting the sale. Most importantly is we get the sale, but when does that cash come in? When can we actually start using it to pay for all of this stuff? And it starts to build on itself. And once I started to uncover these things, then you start going, well, which channels are most profitable? Which clients are most profitable? Where are we losing money? Where and and you start to build a, a bigger and bigger detailed view. And, 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 and so, you know, when we got into whatever was 2011 or 2012 or whatever, the one thing I could do is look back and say, man, did we leave a lot of cash on the table? Because now we had all of this information and realized all of the mistakes we had been doing. And now we had some sort of vision forward some plan for it and a way to be able to say, let's, let's compare, let's compare our options here. we got option A, option B, option C, maybe worst, best likely, whatever it was. And, um, and start to figure out, well, how do we, how do we make smart decisions? Not just enough to have enough money in the bank, but how do we actually make smart decisions that are going to be profitable and help us grow? So that's a very cool big picture view of dry rent um <laughs> and but leading into that was like really i took that kind of um experience and after i sold um that that agency would i started to figure out okay well what's next and and you know i was doing consulting and i didn't think i wanted to do another agency but i wasn't really sure and just kept, and then i kept coming back to this issue of um really understanding where where business is headed and so you know kind of fast forward a bit i i i brought my co-founder on and we we built kind of our mvp and 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 rolled it out and kind of waited to see what what would happen and 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 you know at that point i think i still was very much a designer like i was picturing it as you know hey I, we made this really cool product I don't know. let's see what happens um and so there, there's been this massive transition over the last number of years of being going from being a, a designer that just really likes product to moving all the way forward to being a CEO and a co-founder of a company where we have much, much, much bigger aspirations and bigger goals. And that's, you know, so such a, a major transition. But the starting point was really seeing this problem and figuring out, okay, how can I solve this problem? Do other people have the same problem? And um, uh, Find out that yes but there's of course a, a lot more to it because I'll, I'll, I'll share a little snippet with you when we rolled out dry run just the kind of the two of us bootstrap whatever and and um i still remember saying to tark oh, like accountants will laugh at this if they see it but i know business owners really need it that was i remember <laughs> saying that and because of that i talked with all of these business owners and got all this validation and that and then you know, fast forward a few years and AICPA, the world's largest CPA organization, basically flies Tark and I out to New York with two other small businesses into their accelerator and says, um, yeah, the entire profession has to move to advisory, basically being a CFO for their clients mm-hmm. and your tool can help them do that. And also it's like, wow. oh, not only are they not laughing at us, I should have been talking with these guys a long time ago. So if you look now, Today, who we sell to, it's accountants and CFOs. It's like, it's kind of like Interesting. completely, <laughs> completely bizarre,
0: right? I love that story. That's awesome. Well, that's it, it's not terribly surprising in some ways, though. I mean, I, I was curious, I was super curious about that about about the idea of not being an accountant, creating something for accounting because I, it seems actually like a innovation quite often comes outside of the. Of expertise, right? Because expertise yeah. and you need you, you, so you know, these outside ideas come and you you have some different thoughts of how to communicate, obviously, like what I'm hearing from talking about design and designing something that an entrepreneur needs as opposed to what an accountant needs for account other accountants or so on. And so yeah. so you it sounds like you kind of hit that at a really interesting point. Um and then this yeah, I would do want to hear more too about the, the journey from from being a designer to being a CEO. But yeah, that's yeah, really cool. too,
2: yeah. That it's it's you're sort of you know forced into that a little bit. Even in my agency days, I, I you know, we we started a creative agency and it wasn't long like you know, I was there for probably know, over 10 years, probably. I was probably designing for the first year. And and then after that, you're now now you're a business owner, now you're an entrepreneur, and it's a totally different different thing. Right. So um, it's uh, it's a really big transition. But, you know, I just wanted to kind of go back to um, innovating for, for from coming from the outside outside of accounting and how do you do innovation for them? And it's like I knew the problem inside out and upside down with, with cash flow and, and sales projections and how, all of that. That isn't necessarily where accountants are comfortable. Accountants are tend to be very comfortable on um, you know, accounting, making sure like the historical. numbers, the it's all historical. Mm-hmm. The numbers make sense It all. Everything lines up and all balances mm-hmm. out. And what business owners often need is, yeah, okay, that's, that's the starting point, but now where do I go and where do I go from there? And you know, it, it, the, um, if you ask an accountant what they need, what they'll do is they'll show you, this is what I've got. Give me the same thing, but I don't know. Like make it blue. Like they're they're they don't they, they're not there to sort of innovate. And and the um uh and it's amazing because we do hear every once in a while it's like, well, yeah, but how do you get accountants to leave their spreadsheet? They love their spreadsheet. Well, yeah, they do, but until we show them what we can do. And then they they just abandon so fast. It's amazing. And um, like I I, I like to just share this little story because um this is such a, a way that it, you can see a transition happening and why it happens. And so, you know, one of our clients, um, really interesting, the CEO found out about us, and he must have been looking for an answer to this problem. And and he found out about Dry Run. And he went to his finance team and he said, um, "I need you to use Dry Run because we can't under- as a management team we can't understand what you're showing us in the spreadsheets." And so, Amazing. so what you know what exactly where you guys do it well so these guys four global locations four different currencies had to do consolidation of the four different locations and this took them till basically friday morning the finance team would build models for each location do currency conversion that's out of date the second they do it um and build these tabs and then do consolidation and then they had what they called their friday finance party in the morning with the finance team and they would talk about here's what we're going to show in the afternoon then in the afternoon, they would get together with the, the, the management team. And here's a screen full of just reams of data and tabs. And they're working their way through and going, this is not like, how do we get through this? And trying to make decisions on that. And um, so I said, you gotta use Dry Run. So the first time we heard of this was when, um, when one of the finance team kind of came to our team and said, yeah, we're supposed to use Dry Run. And she wasn't that happy. She's <laughs> just like kind of forced to use dry run, you know. Um, so we hooked up their accounts, and they had three different accounting platforms even that they're using. So they hooked up their accounts, and and pulled the data in. And, and long story short, they found out that like mid Monday morning, they were ready for a Monday afternoon meeting. We had literally saved them an entire week's of work, and instead of last thing Friday trying to make decisions on a business and where you're going last thing Friday, you're doing that Monday afternoon way way more effective and they're modeling things on the fly so now they can say look oh, this this uh you know uk is underperforming how are we going to do this how we over here in the us we got to expand this team we've got to hire more people what are we going to do and you can do that on the fly and so they literally could take some of the staff here that was just grinding it out in spreadsheets and upskill them and say no now you're doing something that's probably way more effective for the business and so there wasn't a whole lot of grumbling when it's like we saved you days a week of time and the management team can understand what you're telling them. Well, yeah, now it's like, okay, yeah, we get it. Um, we'll we'll dive in.
1: So you are a bit of a productivity tool as well as a communication tool.
2: Exactly. Productivity for the finance guys because they want that and but communication for the management team because they want that and that's that's a little superpower we have is we we join those two things together.
1: So have how have you figured out how to sell to those totally different personality types, because that's got to be challenging to position a product like if you're this, you need to use it like this. And if you're this, you use it like this, but you're both are in the same tool. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a real culture shift for them because they're going from something they're really familiar with through to something that is is quite challenging. And, and you know, it's it's a lot of times some of the struggles that we see with uh, with accountants as they move to advisory. Uh, it's not even as much a tool. A lot of it is is uh, sales and um, holding those conversations with their clients and actually offering these services where they're they're talking with their clients and talking about insights and things. It's, that's a challenge uh, for them and. Um, to to make a long story short, the way we sell it is um, our director of development was uh, the the first uh, business development manager for Intuit and um, uh, has probably sold more QuickBooks online and QuickBooks desktop than just about anyone on the planet. Maybe not desktop, probably uh, <laughs> online, and he sold a lot of those to accountants. And so you know that was that was uh, he brought a lot of insight with him and um, and, and sort of worked on building that that program of how do you how do you reach out to them and how do you how do you uh, communicate what our value is, and how do we get them sometimes to make a really transformative move? Um, we're still early. Like we're still very early in that move to advisory. So um, it's coming. It's not like that absolute first in. It's like the the late early adopters sort of thing. But there's a giant wave still coming. Um, and, uh, but you were still in some of those challenges of, we have to find those ones that are, that are saying, yeah, we're ready to jump now rather than a year from now.
1: Interesting. So do you find that you're having like younger accountants are adopting it or is it people that have been in the business for a long time, a bit of both, or is it easier sell to maybe a younger generation or not really?
2: Yeah, it's the kind of the interesting thing we're seeing is on the, um, especially kind of on the CPA side. It's the younger ones are more like who are, I guess, the champions a lot of times in software. And we're not talking like 20-year-olds, like, but just a little bit scale, a little bit younger. What we're seeing on the management side or the partner side is they know it's like, we know we have to go there. Let's find someone that can actually yeah. help champion it and drive it forward. And then on the fractional CFO side, and this is more like just the last, uh, last fall when suddenly these CFOs started coming. in. To us and we went oh this is actually a really good group for us we've learned so much from them um, we've a lot of CFOs that will come in that are are they're almost like semi-retired We're like yeah I walked away from being a CFO of giant Corp whatever and I'm just gonna help some small businesses and oftentimes with them they're not even looking for new clients what they love is just like yeah, I got more time to golf or whatever so it's but they're they're grabbing <laughs> hold of new technology because that's this big benefit to them so um you know, it's it's summer. It's like we have these two value props. One is, hey, we're going to really help you grow, expand your firm, get new clients and and uh, grow your practice and all that. And then the other one is just like, yeah, you guys are just going to love us. We're going to we're going to make it much easier for you to serve these number of clients that you just want to want to serve.
0: Well, tell us it, tell us a little bit about the the podcast that you're doing as well, because I I haven't heard enough about that yet. So this is this is kind of new to me. Oh, OK. Here. So,
2: yeah, like, yeah. A, well, I've actually got We got two podcasts. The first one um, is called Turning Point Stories um, and Strategies from the World of Business. And I like to just inter- interview uh, entrepreneurs it very much started from a dry run perspective. And, and we just like to talk. It's a great opportunity to talk with entrepreneurs and and um, have this sort of conversation. Right. And mm-hmm. very conversational. We like to, you know, uh, get to the root of things. It's all other entrepreneurs listening. So there's no sales. It's very much about the challenges and, and the struggles and overcoming them and, and sharing that. Um, the other podcast that I'm on, I think we just did our 30 some episode, 31st maybe episode um, is this podcast, this friend of mine, um, Mike Milo and I started and we just started through, you know, fun basically. And it's, it's nobody told me with Mike and Blaine. And we just have a topic every, every week. And we, and we just talk about, the things that nobody told you before you become an entrepreneur that you, that they're just like, <laughs> what the heck? And you just, we just chat about this and we have, we have our, our featured beer of the week and we just sort of did it the way you <laughs> want to do it. Um, Mike actually rolled out merch, <laughs> which I <thought> was hilarious. <laughs> awesome. so you can actually buy t-shirts and stuff. Um, and we just, it's just, um, uh, just a ton of fun. Um, we just, yeah, we, we love doing that. But I think one of the things that is, um, feels like every week it's just two entrepreneurs just talking about th- and, and we learn so much from each other. And mm-hmm. that's such a ma- major thing is like, you know, you're learning from other entrepreneurs and the struggles they've had and finding these shortcuts. And then basically we just record it and then throw it online. But it's it's most of the time you just kind of forget that it's like we're actually talking about uh, um, about business and people are listening to it. Half the time you yeah
0: yeah, well, it, I was just thinking about like the, the two podcasts they have this nice intersection of of the sweating payroll story. That's <laughs> definitely yeah. one that probably most people if if you haven't experienced it, you really don't don't know what that's like the 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 stress of feeling the responsibility for for livelihoods of families and people beyond just yourself and and especially that, uh, I, I love what you're doing with dry run and that helping people to be able to foresee these things, because um, it you certainly feel stupid as an entrepreneur when cash flow catches up on you, right? That's just a terrible, terrible feeling. And nobody wants to ever feel stupid. and and especially for entrepreneurs, like the other side of it talking like the show of entrepreneurs talking about things that that happen to us. like that's a. Um, it's a pretty lonely position as an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. when you've done something you feel like you should have been able to foresee so there's the the stress of it but also the shame of you don't want to tell anybody necessarily about this because well we'll, what will it mean for my business all all that that sort of stuff like that's a i think that's really great uh as a thing that you're doing and talking about that
2: yeah and it's it's um uh oftentimes entrepreneurs are just you know maybe they talk with a partner about it but half the time they're probably not even talking with their their accountants about it and um uh you know when you do want the the right accountant that can be service that advisor and kind of you know um because because it, it is like you kind of you can kind of internalize it right and and um um you know cash flow issues some a lot of times it's not even the entrepreneur's fault even though they they they'll they'll take it to heart and don't want to share about it and it can just sometimes be bent there um uh, uh clients that just aren't paying aren't paying they're paying late or they're not paying at all yeah. and and that can always be such a um such a major struggle but the other thing you know it's it it is it's so hard like you feel Awful on and and so much stress um, uh, from casuals. So the number one killer of business is also the number one stressor of business and and business owners. I think and and um, but that you know that's one of the reasons why you know we started thinking we were going to help business owners and then we realized no oh, you know what it's 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 less equipped the pros and the the big benefit is when the if we can get pros involved to me it's almost like. Let's give all these businesses CFOs that really aren't able to afford a CFO yet. Let's give them that kind of level of of service by equipping everybody. And and, um, because you just, there are things that business owners, if they almost none of them come from finance, like they all come from some domain area that they're experts in. Um, And every once in a while, you'll hear stories and, oh man, their life would have been different if they, if they had had someone there. They could proceed this far enough out and actually talk about it. And one example I heard a a few years ago was a business that was um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but they were, I think, like a two to three million dollar business. They were a young business. They grew incredibly fast, um, had an absolute ton of sales and a ton of revenue on paper. The problem was that the uh, the timeline to get paid was really, really long Mm -hmm. and. Um, they ended up and I just, I kind of hate to even say this, but they ended up selling their business on like kind of 30 cents in the dollar sort of thing because they didn't have the cash and they had to sell it to somebody that had enough cash to float them long enough to survive. On paper, this was a wildly successful business. Cash wise, it was, um, in serious, serious need. And the worst Mm -hmm. part of it is, you know, it's the first question I asked and it was, it was just kind of like, yeah, I know was what about factoring and they went yeah and it was a cfo i was talking with that had been connected with these guys later or whatever and said they didn't know they'd never even heard of it they literally sold their business um and had to walk away and take a killing on it because they had never heard of factoring. and um that's where you know a finance pro i think would immediately start to say, here's some of the options, here's some of the options, here's some of the options and, and how we can do things fast, because that's the other thing. Go to the bank, but it takes time. Everything you know can take a lot of time. So, um, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I firmly believe that business owners, you can't push this off on someone else. Like you really have to know what's happening in your business. You have to look at this stuff all the time, understand where you're at, understand where you're going. But you can you don't have to do it all yourself. You can benefit massively from having um, a pro kind of do a lot of the heavy lifting and give you some of that insight and keep you up to
0: date on things and let you focus on your business at the same time. Now, you nice. mentioned factoring as a oh, sorry. sorry, Kevin. You no,
1: go ahead, Greg. No. Sure. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. You mentioned factoring and didn't explain Explicitly, what it is, and I think our listeners need oh, to know that. <laughs>
2: <No>. that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a,
0: good, that's a good. <laughs> yeah, that's a
2: good point. Actually, I am. I, um, yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. So it's like exactly how the story happened. Happen yeah, else. Yeah. So, so factoring is is you can basically go to a factoring company, and they'll essentially give you the amount um, up front of the invoice you sent out. So, if you have a hundred thousand dollar invoice out there, they have enough cash on hand. Basically, I'm kind of dumbing this down to say. Here, here's your hundred grand. Um it's just going to cost you five percent or some sort of percentage of that. Um, and then they'll chase after the the money, and they'll have to get that that uh, that money coming into them. Um, what it means is basically they're just up they're they're sending you the cash for all these invoices um, upfront. And that can make a dramatic difference to businesses in, in a lot of ways just ones that need the money to expand rapidly or th- there's a lot of different circumstances where factory can work really well and yeah you are paying a little bit off the top but boy um it can be uh just a godsend so that's uh, did i explain that one um for
1: you guys
0: that's brilliant Yeah, perfect i uh,
1: i'm curious to get your thoughts on what about companies or if you have a product that has like a long sales cycle that could be six, eight, 12, even like 18 months or, or longer, like any advice or yep. thoughts around that? Or does dry run help with any of that?
2: Well, it's yeah, because you have to, um, that's something you really have to know. So, like the, the companies often use dry run to, to build out sales projections because okay. um, th- this is a great example. I remember at one point in my, in my agency days that before we had started building out sophisticated sales forecasts, uh, I remember one day looking at a list of potentials. So this is how we did our, our, our sales forecast or not even just, you know, here's a list, here's a list of okay. possibilities. And so we had all these deals and the amounts tied to them. And then I looked at the bottom and I had added it up and it was, it was, like, I don't know, it was over a million bucks. And I'm like, okay. When's that coming in? Because if it's over two years, we're screwed. If it's all in one month, we're screwed. Like either way, because now (laughs) you're going, okay, if it all came in at once, we're going to have massive capacity issues. If it stretches out for a long time, because sometimes sales are months on a sales cycle, especially on bigger deals. So what we found, like internally for us, what we found is we have these big, long ones that are going to take a long time uh, to come to fruition, if ever, you know, you don't, you're not going to nail down every one of them. And we kind of knew what percentage we would tend to close. And if we close too many, we would likely raise our prices and go, that's an indication there. Um, but what building a, a a really detailed sales projection allowed us to do is to say, okay, here's when this one could potentially start and it's going to be paid likely over five, six, 10, 20 phases. Here's when the cash would likely come in. And then we can start looking back and going we need some smaller jobs we need some of the 30s and 50s in there like we need we need ones that we can close in maybe 45 days or 90 days and 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 have some of that cash coming in sooner and so it was really important from a um, cash flow perspective a capacity perspective um, a longer term revenue perspective to not only know what your sales pipeline looked like from a bottom line but when that money would likely come in, when it would be recognized as revenue and when it be recognized as cash and, and be able to predict all of that on a timeline. Gives you so much more information than just a bottom line of. Yeah, if we, if we get all that we're we're what we're great, like, you know, you're just kind of guessing when it's going to come in, um, it, it makes a fundamental difference because you can see those dips when you when you look like you're going to be slow and try and backfill them with quicker deals and then you can see. Um, when you can have those really busy, heavy months and you don't want to overbook your team, because as soon as you overbook your team, now you're paying overtime, cuts into your 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 profit margin. You may have to contract some of it out. You might eat up your profit margin. So it's it's just gold to be able to predict that that those uh, sales going forward, especially when you're a project based business like that.
1: No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. You also wrote a book called Pandemic Cash Flow. What exactly is the book about? I think the title maybe gives it away, but what <laughs> made you decide to write it? And, and what's the book about?
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, it's not about the pandemic. It, this, you know, um, came out pre-pandemic, pre-COVID. Um, so the title relates to how businesses across the globe are are uh, struggling with with cash flow and you know, basically 50 percent of businesses, I think, fail within their first five years. And and, um, and a big chunk of those are are related to cash flow shortfalls and things. I And not look at the exact stats or in my book, but I can't. Um, but talking with business owners like we, of course, at that time, we were focused on business owners. We had built dry Red to help them manage their cash flow, their sales pipeline, all that. And what I realized is a lot of business owners really just struggled mightily with. Um, understanding the mechanics like just understanding what is going on, How does cash flow work? Like they don't know. It's like, yeah, yeah, cash is coming in the door or going out. they They have struggled a lot with figuring out like how do you get a handle on it and how do you build some projections that make sense? and and you know if you look at you know cash flow or cash flow forecasting or whatever on 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 the web, you'll find millions of articles. And if you start clicking on the articles, what you'll find is generally what I found was a lot of um, you know, business owners or finance people that would would write an article and they'd say, "You really need to do cash flow projections." That's it, and <laughs> then maybe they would add on, "Go get yourself a spreadsheet," and they wouldn't tell you anything else. And so, what I finally said, well, I'm just I wrote this book, and so it, it was more for the, the the business owners that are just sort of newer business owners and and learning about cash flow, and explained. Here are some of the key problems. Here are some of the key things that are going to affect cash flow. Here's how it works. Here's how you can build some forecasts, like literally build one that helps you move forward and understand where where you're going. And so um, uh, that was kind of the, the the point of that book. I know now that we sort of moved up market and serving the pros, it's, it's nice to have and it's great for business owners. It doesn't even help, you know, or as affected, I guess, as much a where we're headed as a as a business but i still believe the book is a great resource for uh for business owners that are that are really trying to understand and, and get hold of their, their cash flow
0: you know part of our audience with learner are people like yourself who i'm part of the, the people who who use learner as a, the app side of it as well as listening to the show or people like yourself though who uh are creators of content like this and yeah. i'm fascinated with the idea of of you know being an, authoring a book writing a book and getting it out into the world and like what what stories can you tell of things you learned about that whole process having gone through it
2: oh man it was so much longer and and uh
0: harder sort of than
2: i realized to write like a full book and of course you are running a business at the same time so you know there were a lot of weekends spent like just get away from the office, get into a coffee shop, open up the laptop and just work and work and work and writing, writing this thing. And and um, it was, you know, it's a challenge to to be able to tell the story. How do you make it interesting? How do you make it a, a story? But also how do you how do you roll out the information in a way that that makes sense to people and that's at a level that makes that that you feel comfortable with so that it's you're not speaking over people's heads and, you know, skipping things like what is factory, you know? Yeah, yeah, like you know, you it's it's easy to do that. So it's 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 a challenge it was a real challenge to just kind of figure out okay, what's the structure and what would be the natural way that someone would learn and go through these steps and, and where would we go with this? And so I learned a lot from um from writing the book. Um and it was it was a, a challenge, it was great to sort of finally sort of have it done and out in the wild. And and of course immediately when it's done and it's out in the wild, then I think yeah, I would actually probably like rewrite it completely if I had time today <laughs> because you just you know you become that you learn so much from it and you become that sort of critic of it and and you know I think someday I may have another book in me except that it would be a, a very different book than than the uh, pandemic cash flow would probably be more on the you know CFO stories or something like that like stories that help people understand some of the challenges businesses go through.
0: I have follow up question on that, just more weirdly practical, but like what when you write a book, how do you get it out into the world? Like how so you've written this at, and like, what's that experience like of, of of actually publishing it or like getting it into people's hands?
2: Yeah, it's it's um, there are services out there that now that, that will help you do that. They'll that help you um, sort of package the book and build it and publish it and get it like and market it and get it into people's hands. And I didn't do any of that. Um, and. <laughs> you know part of it was um i like i just kind of looked and went okay yeah i get it i know how to I, I you know i did my little bit of research and went yeah i can i can upload this these files to amazon and i got a book and i can upload these files to apple and yeah, i've got a book and and um but the the place where i got to cheat a lot was um you know back in my design days of course i had designed books so i knew how to do it and i was like just really straightforward for me to literally design every, all of it from the, the cover. And I knew all the formats and what they needed and everything else for people that aren't familiar with that. There's it's, it's really straightforward to get that done. There's services that will help you do it. There's you know, you can even just uh, engage someone on, um, you know, an Upwork or, or whatever it is to actually format your book and do the covers and get it all together. It's not very costly. So um, from from sort of a, a, a technical perspective, I just understood what I needed to do. And that part was, was, um, really straightforward and, and relatively freeing because it's like, okay, now I got the book done. I can actually have some fun and just like, you know, do my formatting to flow it out into a book and make my cover. And that was, that was the easy, easy fun part for me. Um, but, uh, there are a lot I of resources. did you
0: spend choosing fonts? Let's talk about that for a moment. Did you choose fonts for a long period of time <laughs> or did you have, oh. did you know right away?
2: I would know right away. I don't, I have no idea what, what it's in it, but I'm sure at the time I knew exactly what, what we were doing, what I was doing and, and all that. That's, um, you know, cause it, you know, when I was doing back when I was doing a lot of design, of course, you know, I had all of my, my favorites and I was critical of other ones and, yeah. and I'd be such a design nerd. And, and I, I, it's funny, I was watching, I don't even know, it was a show on like Hulu or something the other day and, and they had, they had like a, a type like an animation came up and i'm like oh yeah it's a beautiful typeface and i totally recognize it and i was so disappointed in myself because i couldn't picture what the name of the face was Uh, oh no (laughs) i know that one and it's beautiful (laughs) what was that one and like i've lost it i used to just be able to kind of i I can tell you right now what
0: it was comic sounds I think it was Comic Sans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, man. I,
2: it's amazing how often I get something sent to me in Comic Sans from the team just because they know it just drives me up the wall. Yeah, that's that's um, fun stuff that I don't get to play with as, uh, nearly as much anymore. So.
1: Very cool. So obviously you were a designer that bec- became a business and, and CEO founder. I'm curious, what advice do you give to other designers that would love to do a startup, but feel like they're maybe not technical enough or they're not business savvy enough or a bunch of reasons you, you've you done it. What advice would you give to them?
2: Well, I think, I think number one, that I think designers are in a, a really unique position to offer innovation that is, um, different than than a lot of other perspectives so you can a designer can bring a perspective if they're really disciplined in in, um wanting to understand the problems and and overcoming problems and and that's i think a a skill that is is needed so much more And, and the technical side um you shouldn't try and be doing you shouldn't do it anyway like yourself so if you if you you know as a designer if you if you feel like you can you know offer something and change the world and solve some problems. The first thing to do is, you know, go find yourself a, or frankly, go find yourself probably a technical co-founder um, that, you know, like ours, ours, uh, my co-founder is so brilliant. It's just unbelievable and and um, uh, amazing person and amazing developer. And it's, it's just such a gift. And on, on the business side, for me, that was the side that I just, um, uh, I think in the long run, I ended up being an entrepreneur, not a designer, a designer. Got me into being an entrepreneur, or that was the, the the service I could offer. But I was feel like I was born an entrepreneur in a way. Um, if that isn't your your thing, then then there's there's also an opportunity to find a, a co-founder that may help ser- serve that role and find that team. And I know that's that's a challenging thing. Like I get, there's all these things together that make it a challenge. Um, but it's tough to do it on your own. And 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 that was one of the things that I learned. Like is, you know, for me at the start, it was like, yeah, I built a thing. It was kind of like a project. And then you know, Tark and I built it. And, and suddenly we're down standing on the stage in San Jose and going, oh man, what is going on? And 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 it's <laughs> changes so quickly that um, then we realize, well, we need people and we need really talented people. We need the right people to be able to move this forward which means we need money and then we have to find the investors we need, like it just sort of feeds on itself. And, and so, um, if you're a designer looking to do some innovation like that, frankly, probably won't be a designer for long. If you're successful, you'll have to grow and grow this team and become an entrepreneur and a co founder. And you may have your area that you support and you have partners that maybe are co-founders to support other areas, but, um, it's, uh, you need really great people to help you move. Um, ideas forward to to work with you
1: no i i think that's actually really good advice the other thing that i always tell people too it's like well apple built their whole business around design so there's no reason and they're the most valuable company on the planet so there's no reason you can't as a designer become a founder or an entrepreneur like because yeah. there's they're one of the best success stories of it right and yeah and, and so i that always kind of mind-boggled me when when designers are just like oh i can't do that it's like well why can't you do that but but I'm curious, yeah. you you mentioned you you found a technical co-founder. How did you meet your co-founder?
2: Well, yeah, you know that was um, uh, there's no sort of magic way. I, I just through through networking. Um, uh, you just talking with people and getting introductions and moving along until I found this. I got this great introduction from from someone that had had used to work for me in a in a, in a dev capacity and and. Um, Uh, you know, and it's, it's, that's a skill and that's a a, a tactic that is just, you know, as a raise money, it's like, how did you do that from networking and asking for introduction? it's the same, you know, it's, (laughs) it's building, people won't come knocking down your door. Um, you have to go out and, and, and build this, this community, build this network. I shouldn't say that in a way, because honestly, into it came knocking on our door and so did AICPA. And so like it's happened a few times where honestly. I was not looking for it. I wish I had been. Um, they did come knock on our door, but for the most part, really, what you're doing is is you're you're trying to find the right people. Um, you have to meet and talk with a lot of people and and see if they're they're people that really believe in in the in the mission and the vision. And you know those things are really important. And the culture, those things are super super important. Not just the um, the technical chops is. It's important like that's the prerequisite but everything past that it has to be you know is this someone that you can work with and work with long term and really buys into what you're doing it has the same belief as you and it's you know we see too many um startups fail because you, you have co-founders that don't don't jive and and i'm just so grateful and lucky that that um uh to have found my co-founder, like we're years in, and it's just, it's amazing. He's just awesome. And, and, um, that's, that's a challenge to find, but it's, it's a necessary ingre- ingredient.
1: Oh, I, I think that's, that's really good advice, but we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, dry run the pot both podcasts, the book, and any other links you want to mention? <laughs> yeah lots going uh, well, yeah. on it's
2: good it's good lots <laughs> going on you can you can track it um you can track us down at dryrun.com that's the easiest way um if you want to connect with me um please look for me on on linkedin you can connect with me on linkedin if you really want to get uh, through a message to me um, yeah you just go to dryrun.com chat it up and say hey can you get us the blame it'll it'll get to me um <laughs> and um uh, podcast um, you'll actually find information about turning point right on right on our, our website we're always looking for terrific guests on on that show so please reach out to me I love talking with entrepreneurs just like this and, and so uh, love to talk with you guys um, and then the podcast nobody told me with Mike and Blaine is um, literally mikeandblaine.com, and um mm-hmm. uh and and you can you can go there and you can even buy merchant like I said and 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 you can even buy us a beer and we're we're really waiting for someone to buy us some beer on our on our website. So, um, um, yeah, and, and pandemic cash flow—you can find it on Amazon, Apple, and all the all the usual all the usual places if you're looking for uh, uh, just a really foundational um, tactical book on cash flow that can help you understand it. So, um, would love to hear from you guys, and um, love chatting with you guys. It was great, uh, great catching up, and uh, yeah, just uh, this is a fun time.
1: Perfect, Blaine. Well, again, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and look forward to keeping in touch with you. And have a good rest of your day.
2: Absolutely. Take care, Thanks guys. Thanks, so Blaine. Cheers. Thanks, Blaine.
1: Thank you. Okay. Let's bye. Go.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Learner.co Show. If you're looking to be a guest, try out our app, or want to get in touch, please visit Learner with two L's at www.learnerco. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Thanks for listening and keep on learning.